Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Something about the human condition makes us love to draw up our lives by numbers. Nine months in the womb, two years learning how to throw a temper tantrum, 12 years in grade school, 13 if you're Tommy Fazzarini. Four years in college, even more if you're ambitious. You meet the one girl who you want to spend the rest of your years with, and 150 people celebrate the ceremony at 40 bucks a head. Ten years later, and you have one house, two cars, and three kids. You work 40-plus hours a week, attend church with hundreds of people, just bought four-season tickets, and quite frankly, there's not a whole lot to complain about. Eventually, the three kids grow up, get married, and bring you six grandkids, and now you're the patriarch who has impacted the lives of 14 people. Not bad, Pops. I guess that could be it. But what if it's not? What if God intends for us to impact the lives of over a billion people? Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Imagine if we went out of our way to engage the world beyond the 14 in our household. Coworkers, neighbors, old friends. Not just engage, disciple. Imagine if we took one year and explored faith with one person from our world took one person for one year and really shared the message of love and salvation and freedom in Christ to that one person. And what if inside that year, that person decided to follow Jesus? Well, we know what all of heaven does when that happens, but let's not stop there. What if the next year that person decided to disciple someone else and you did the same thing and more and more people came to know Christ? And what if you did this year after year, person after person, and each of them picked one person year after year at each of them and each of them. If this kept going for 30 years, that would mean that 1,073,741,824 people would hear the gospel. Here's the thing. 14 people discipled for Jesus is great, but a billion is better. Most importantly, it's not impossible. It starts with one person only making a commitment to invest in one person for one year and let God do the rest. So, question is, who's your one? Yeah, that's so good. I love, I'm telling you, I love this question. In fact, this question's been sparking a lot of conversation. Like, there's some guys in my small group this past week that they were talking about who their one is. We got some staff members at the Buford campus that were like, man, I think this person is my one. I love I love this question. And by the way, um, just for clarity, when we say your one, here's what we mean. Your one is the person that is near to you, but far from God that you intentionally and prayerfully invest in and pursue. Because we believe that everybody can know God, right? And we're going to invite anybody that we can, but there's always one like there's one that you just go a little bit further with. There's, there's, there's one that God kind of highlights for you. In fact, this one language actually comes from Jesus. He told a parable where, uh, where he said that God is like a, like a good shepherd who leaves 99 sheep behind to go after the one lost sheep. And last week, Jason, you know, talked about how 99 out of 100 is like a really good test score. But when it's a person, oh man, it's so different. It matters so much more. In fact, he said this, 99 out of 100 is good enough until the one missing is my one. Then it gets personal. And so the question is, who's my one? 
And to help answer that question, we're going to dive a little bit deeper this morning and go after how do you choose and care for your one? Because you might have a few ones in mind and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, which one is my one, right? And then what does it actually look like to care for my one? Well, last week, Jason used a ping pong ball to illustrate this, so I thought we'd have a little fun and play a game with a ping pong ball, okay? So here and across the campuses, everyone should have a ping pong ball. Go ahead and grab it. Hold on to it. Don't throw it yet. Don't throw it yet, okay? Um, All right, and then across the campuses, campus pastors, if you want to step up and put the red solo cup uh, on the stage. That's right. We got a red solo cup. Don't get too excited, all right? Some of y'all having flashbacks to college right now, okay? No, it's not, yeah. Um, This cup is empty, just for clarity, it's empty. Although I'm sure the sermon would be way more fun if it was full. But anyways, that's beside the point. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a game that represents you connecting with your one, you choosing and caring for your one, okay? And this is your one right here. So from your seat, okay, so you can't get up from your seat, from your seat here and across the campus, we're going to give you a chance to throw your ping pong ball into this cup right here, okay? All right, and, uh, and I think we've got some overly dramatic music to kind of lean into it. So, so here we go. Yeah, there it is. All right, so everyone get your ping pong ball ready. On the count of three, you have a chance to throw it into this cup right here. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Oh, that was this close. It's okay. Well done. Keep it going. Keep it going. That was, whoo. Y'all are way better than the 9 a.m. service. Good night. Y'all... Y'all are getting close. Okay, all right, all right, here we go. Here we go. Well, we're going to wrap it up in three, two, one, and we're done. And we're done. All right, go ahead. If you got a ping pong ball, hold on to it. Hold on to it. Okay, Bruce, I need you to help me out. Okay, all right, here we go. Here we go. Hold on to your ping pong ball. And I know some of you, you would love to throw that ping pong ball at me during the sermon. Please don't do that, okay? (laughs) Please, thank you so much. Please hold on to it. Um, Okay, out of curiosity, how many of you got hit in the back of the head with a ping pong ball just now? Yeah, you didn't think that was going to happen today at church, did you? That was not on your bingo card for for church this morning. Okay, Um, all right, well, let's see how we did. You ready? We got close, though. Some of y'all are, yeah, I know, you're good. Oh, actually, I still have mine. Hold on, let me sit in my seat. Okay, I know the rules. Okay, here we go. Yeah! Look at that. Oh, I forgot to mention, winner gets $10,000. So, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so some of you are a little upset right now because you're like, well, come on. If I was that close, I would have made it. And you're exactly right. See, that's what this game shows us, that proximity matters, doesn't it? Like those of you all the way up top, I'm sorry, you didn't have a chance, okay? Some of y'all right here, you got pretty close, and for me, it was so easy. Why? Well, because proximity matters. And we talked about how this kind of represents you choosing and caring for your one, which means 
When you're close to your one, it's a whole lot easier. But the further away you are from your one, the more difficult it is. And um, I want to introduce this idea with something I'm calling the proximity principle. Okay, here it is. The proximity principle. The closer you are to your one, the more you love them. But the further away you are from your one, the more you judge them. Here's what I mean. Okay, so imagine that uh, you and your family are seated at a table at a restaurant, okay? And you're there, and for whatever reason, it takes your waiter a long time to get to the table, okay? And you've been waiting, and when they show up, they're kind of flustered and frustrated, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, it's such a busy day, and this is actually my first, my first time waiting tables. And some of you might be a little aggravated, but you're like, okay, it's fine, we'll let it pass. But then he takes a long time to bring the drinks, and then, like, he's so bad at refills, and you do the passive-aggressive thing where you, where you slurp really loudly, and you're like, like, come on, like, I got a drink here, you got to help me out, right? But he's just taking forever. And then he brings out the wrong meal, and so you got to send it back. You're like, that's not what I ordered, you know? And then at the very end of the night, he actually spills the drink all over the table and all over you. And then he brings you the check, <laughs> and you got to put a tip. And some of y'all, you're petty, and you would put a one-cent tip. It's like, I didn't forget the tip. No, 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 I remember it, and that's what you deserve. Some of you might ask to speak to a manager. Others of you, maybe you're way more gracious, and you would just tip them 20% because you're better than the rest of us, okay? Now, imagine that same scenario, only the reason that you and your family are seated at this table at this restaurant is because... It's your daughter's first day at her job as a waitress, and you're seated in her section. And she takes a long time to come to the table, and when she shows up, she's frustrated. She's like, I'm so sorry, it's busy. And you go, honey, it's okay. Hey, isn't this awesome? We're just so excited to be here on your first day. And she takes a long time to bring the drinks, but you don't care. She, you know, it's like the drink gets empty, but you don't slurp loudly, okay? You order the steak, she brings out the salmon, and you look at it, and you go, Honey, you're right. You know, I should have ordered the salmon. It's okay. Mom's been telling me I need to eat healthier, right? And then at the very end, you know, she spills the drink, goes all over the table, all over you, and you go, hey, it's okay, it's okay. In fact, I'm really glad it happened at this table, not at some other table, right? You're okay. And then she brings out the check, and you tip her 50%. <laughs> Why? Well, because that's your daughter, because you know her, because you're close to her. And the closer you are, the more you love them. But the further away you are, the more you judge them. And sometimes, <laughs> isn't it easy when there's someone that you kind of know, but don't really know, and they're kind of far away, and you see them post something on social media, it's so easy to go, I, I, I can't believe them. Oh my gosh. Who would ever think like that? Who would ever talk like that? Who would ever act like that? I just can't believe it. Or you see the neighbor across the street or the person at the ball field, and you're like, they just, oh my goodness. It's like, why would they act that way? How could they do that? <laughs> and I wonder if part of the reason that non-Christians look at Christians as judgmental is because we have pushed our ones far away. And we've started treating them like a stranger spilling a drink instead of our daughter at her first day at her job. 
And maybe the reason for some of us in the room, it is difficult to even choose or care for a one is because they are far away from us. So how does that change? Well, the answer is proximity. In fact, Jesus actually told a parable that illustrates this proximity principle. And it's actually the parable that follows the parable we talked about last week. See, last week we talked about how God goes after the one lost sheep. And then after that, Jesus told a parable about the one lost coin. And then he wraps everything up by talking about the one lost son. This is called the prodigal son story. Some of you may have heard it before. In fact, a lot of you may have heard this before. But today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to look at this story that you've probably heard before, and we're going to look at some verses from this parable that you maybe didn't even know were in there, because I think it illustrates the proximity principle. So here's how, here's how the parable begins. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and we find out in the parable that the Older son is obedient and respectful, and the younger son is wild and rebellious, okay? And the math on this checks out for me, because I've got, I've got three sons, but our oldest son, Judah, he is like older son. He is obedient and respectful, and our middle son, Anchor, um, <laughs> he is, uh, well, let me show you a picture of the two of them. Can you guess which one is Anchor? Yeah. Wild and rebellious right here. It's like can't even pose right for a picture. But then look at the oldest. I mean, he's cheesing for the camera. He's even wearing a UGA polo that he picked out himself. Yeah, hey, man, this is, <laughs> this is classic older son right here, okay? So anyways, you get the idea, older, younger son. Okay, well, the younger one, the wild and rebellious one, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And um, when, when Jesus' initial audience heard this parable, their jaws would have dropped to the ground because this statement is so audacious. The younger son was essentially saying, dad, I want my inheritance. Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I don't care about you. I don't care about mom. I don't care about the family. I just want what's coming to me. And the crazy part is the father actually did it and he gave him all this money and then the son got all this money, and he went out, and he partied, and drank, and did whatever he wanted to do. In fact, Scripture says that he went to a foreign country and squandered his wealth in wild living. And we don't actually know what the younger son did, um, because, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So it's like, we don't know, but we just know he went crazy. And he actually spent all the money. And then when the money ran out, the friends ran out. And then after the friends ran out, the food ran out, and the younger son got desperate. And I mean desperate because he came up with something that was like, this was his last resort. And he starts thinking about his dad, you know, the one that he said he wished he was dead, the one that he brought shame to the whole family. He starts thinking about his dad, and he goes, listen, after all that I've done, after all I've said, my dad will never accept me back into the family, but my dad is a good businessman, and he's got a bunch of people that work for him, so maybe if I go back and I grovel and I beg and I do this big apology, maybe he'll let me, he'll hire me on. You know, I can, I can, I can sleep where the servants sleep. I can eat what the servants eat. I can make a living wage so that I'm not here starving. So he comes up with this idea and he goes back to his dad. And this is what Jesus says. By the way, this is like, oh my goodness, this is my favorite verse from the whole 
parable. It says he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Okay, pause here. Because how on earth can the father see the son when he's a long way off? Well, the answer is he was looking for him. And so Jesus says, God is like a dad who's at the edge of his seat waiting for you to come home. So he looks in the distance and he sees his son coming home. And then scripture says he was filled with compassion. And by the way, the Greek word for that is like he, he, he had like pains in his stomach. In other words, like he loved his son so much that it hurt him. So he had compassion for him. So when he sees his son, what does he do? He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son starts his like rehearsed apology. And he's like, dad, I'm so sorry. I sinned against heaven and against you. And the father interrupts him and he goes, you're home. Hey, servants, quick, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, put some sandals on him. My son is home and we got to celebrate. And here's why for this son of Mine. And don't miss this, okay? Even though the son had disowned his father, the father never disowned his son. He said, this son of mine, my son, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. And this moment, this part of the prodigal son story may be the part of the story that you heard, and maybe this was the very story that brought you to Jesus. Like maybe for the first time when you heard this prodigal son story, maybe even here at this church, you realize that God, your father in heaven, is like the good dad waiting at the edge of his seat for you to come home. That no matter what you've done or how bad your history is or how many times you've been to church, you have a dad in heaven who loves you and who has never disowned you and he has invited you back in. And for some of you, that's actually how you came to faith in Jesus. For others of you, you grew up in church and you've heard this prodigal son story a million times. And here's why. Because this parable perfectly illustrates the incredible love of God. And so pastors like me love stepping on stages and talking about this story. Because come on, here's the story of God's incredible love for you. And most of the time when pastors step up on stage, they end the story right here. It's just that's not where Jesus ended the story because the father had how many sons two sons and we haven't talked about the older one yet so the very next verse meanwhile the older son remember him the older son was in the field. And this is the first time that proximity actually shows up in the story. It tells us where the son is. Now, is the son sitting next to his dad? No. Is the son in the house getting everything prepared and ready for his brother? No. The son is in the field. Over there. Far away. But when he came near the house... And so here we have proximity again. He's starting to get a little closer. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. <laughs> and I don't know why, but whenever I hear this part of the prodigal son story, I always imagine that it's techno music, <laughs> which is horrible. It's so irreverent. But I just imagine, you know, the son's in the field. He's working. He starts coming close to the house, and he hears, you know, and he's like, what? 
<laughs> He's like, what's this noise? Like, Dad doesn't like techno music. Like, what on earth is going on? I'm so sorry I ruined it. Anyway, he's like, what is, what is happening here? And so one of the servants comes up to him and he goes, you'll never believe this. Your brother's home. Oh, my goodness, he's finally home. And Dad has killed the fattened calf, and we're throwing a party. So how does the older son respond? Says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Hold on. This is, this is your brother. <laughs> like you grew up with him. You were there when he left. And he's home and you're angry. He's home and you won't even go see him. How did he get this way? How did he get so callous? Towards his own brother. Well, we find out actually in the way that he talked to his dad about his brother. A few verses later, the older son talking to his dad says this. But when this son of yours comes home. Oh, and don't forget, squandered your property with prostitutes. Like in case you forgot all the bad stuff he did. And when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, did you notice what he called his own brother? This son of yours. See, the father never disowned his son. But it's clear that the older brother disowned his own brother. And somewhere along the way, he stopped caring for his brother. Somewhere along the way, he stopped waiting for his brother. Somewhere along the way, he stopped grieving for his brother. So that when his brother finally comes home, He's like, I don't know who that is. It's just some son of yours. Well, the father hears this and he corrects him. Here's what he says. He said, hey, we had to celebrate and be glad. And here's why. This brother of yours. Come on. You forgot. This is not just some son of mine. This is your brother. And so he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And maybe, just maybe, this is part of what God is reminding you and I of today. That your one is your brother. Your one is your sister. Your one is the person that is near to you that God wants you to love and care about as if that were your own brother or sister. That's your one. See, and the closer you are to your one, the more you love them. But the further away you are, you begin to remind your father in heaven all that they've done. You begin to treat them like, oh, they're just some person over there. And you begin to judge them. See, we're seeing this actually play out with, um, with, with our boys so again, we have, we have three sons, and our oldest son, Judah, he's eight, but our middle son, Anchor, he's five, and Anchor is in this, um, uh, he's got this thing going on where he's, he's scared of being alone. So he doesn't even want to go into his own room without someone else being there, even for bedtime. It's just kind of a thing around our house. And Judah, the older brother, um, he is so annoyed by his brother. 
just so annoyed. And so whenever Anchor complains or says, you know, can someone else come with me? Judah's normally saying like, come on, Anchor. You know, what's the big deal? What are you scared of? Or his personal favorite is, grow up, you big baby. Okay, just so kind. Just he loves his brother, clearly. Yeah, grow up, you big baby. So, um, so anyways, we had this idea around Christmas time. Um, so we put up some Christmas lights in Judah's room, and then we took Anchor's mattress, and we put it right next to Judah's bed. I mean, like it's touching Judah's bed. And so we were like, maybe this will help Anchor not be so scared at night, you know, to go into the room because his brother will be there. And what happened next, <laughs> we, we were not expecting. Um, a few nights into this, Catherine and I are downstairs, and we hear some noise, like it's, they're talking to one another. And we're like, huh, that's strange. So we pull out our phones and we open up uh, Nest Cam. You guys know like the Nest Cam thing? It's like the legal way that you spy on your kids. I love it. I, we do. We spy on them all the time. And so anyways, so we open it up and we're like, well, let's just spy on them again. And, and Judah's talking and Judah says, hey, Anchor, if you get scared, it's okay. I'm right here. <laughs> he says, hey, if you need anything, you can just wake me up. And Catherine and I look at each other and we're like, what? What just happened? Did you tell, I didn't tell, did you tell what? It's like, like he went from grow up, you big baby, to if you need anything, come wake me up. How did that happen? Well, proximity. Because Anchor was right here next to him, and all of a sudden, Judah began to feel what Anchor felt, and he began to empathize with Anchor, because Anchor had now moved close to him, and the closer your one gets to you, not just physically, not just distance-wise, I'm talking relationally close, the more you love them, and by the way, the reason that I'm leaning so much into the, the older brother and the prodigal son story is because you know who you and I are, right, in the story? Like, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, as you read this story, um, we should know that we are not the dad. That's God. We are not the younger brother, although we used to be. I used to be. And then, praise God, he welcomed me back home, no matter what I had done, no matter my history. He loved me. He was waiting at the edge of his seat for me. So now when I read the story, you know who I am in danger of being? The older brother. The one that pushes my one far away and just judges what they're doing. And the way to change that is to move closer to your one, but not just to your one. Because see, what we find out in the prodigal son story is that the, the, the son, the older brother, had not just drifted from his own brother. He had also drifted from his dad. And we see that play out. Look at what the older brother says to his dad. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Come on, Dad, where's my goat, you know? You ever said that to God? I'm just kidding, me neither. Okay, that's weird, that's weird. Now, did you notice the language that he uses? All these years I've been slaving for you. Slaving. He's saying, Dad, come on, you know, I'm just a slave. 
And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in what we do for God that we forget who we are to God. Let me say that again. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in all the things that we're doing for God, we forget who we are to God. So we're guilty of saying, come on, God, you know, I'm just, I'm just working out here. I'm just a slave. And then the father speaks to that too. He says, no, 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 no. My son, you're not my slave. You're my son. You're the one I chased down. You're the one I loved. You're the one I invited into my family. And you forgot. You are always with me. Or maybe another way to say it is, you've always had the chance to be near me. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. See, I think maybe part of the reason that it's difficult for us to choose and care for our one isn't because there isn't a one around us. It's because maybe we have drifted from our father and we've forgotten who we are. We are his son. We are his daughter. And we are always, always have the chance to be close to him. See, the closer you are to your one, the more you love them. But that's not all. The closer you are to your Father in heaven, the more you love them. And you want to know why? Because the more time you spend with God, the more you begin to think like God thinks. The more you begin to see things the way God sees, the more you begin to see people the way God sees people, the more you see your one like God sees your one. The more you begin to grieve for your one like he grieves for your one, the more that your heart breaks for your one just like God's heart breaks you're one because when you are close to the father man I'm telling you it can't help but rub off on you because there is no passion like a father who is waiting for his kid to come home and when you start getting close to God you begin to see your one the same way he sees your one so back to our question how do you choose and care for your one the one that is close to you but far from God the answer is move closer. Choosing your one means choosing to move closer. Moving closer to your father in heaven, spending more time with God to have a heart like his, to see your one like he sees your one, and moving closer to your one. Some of you might have a one that they are near to you, they are close to you, and the invitation today is we'll just move closer. Get a little bit closer to them. Some of you might not be sure who your one is. Maybe you got a few different ones. You're trying to figure out, like, do I move closer to them? Well, just pick one and move closer. Just get a little bit closer to your one. And by the way, when I say move closer, um, like, we don't need to overcomplicate this. First off, um, it's not who's your 50. <laughs> it's not who's your 10. It's who's your one. We're just talking about doing this for one person. And when I say move closer, I mean move relationally closer. It's not pack up the U-Haul and go move wherever they are. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying move relationally closer. I was talking to um, Alex Otto this past week. Um, she's involved with what God is doing in Charleston, South Carolina. We showed the video last week. Just incredible. And I said, hey, what does moving closer mean to you? And she said this, and it's so brilliant, and it's so simple. She said, it's just inviting your one into your everyday life. That's it. Just inviting your one to be a part of your day-to-day -day life. Which means if you go running, invite your one to go running with you. If they like pickleball, go play pickleball with your one. 
Here's the, here's the cool thing. Uh, I'm not a prophet, okay? But, um, but I know this. Every one of us in this room and across our campuses, you're gonna have dinner tonight. Isn't that good? I predicted the future just now. Okay. You're gonna have dinner tonight. Why not invite your one over for dinner? And some of you are like, ah, I can't do that. The house is a mess. Okay, just throw everything in the closet like you always do. Come on, like we know how this works. Just <laughs> Some of the wives are like, we have to clean the baseboards. No, it's... Uh... What, if, what if you just had them over for dinner? What if later this week you just had them over for dinner? You're just inviting your one into your... Day-to-day life. Tomorrow, you're going to drive home from work. What if you just called your one on the way home from work? It's just moving closer. See, moving closer means, means moving closer relationally. It means you love them. Like you genuinely love them. No matter what. Which means you love them. And this is huge. This is huge. You love them whether they accept Jesus or not. Because you're one is your person, not your project, not your, this is not some spiritual project, right? This is not just like, oh, I wanted to get extra brownie points with God, or I hope I get another notch on my spiritual belt. No, that is not it at all. They're not just some project, they're your person, which means you don't just invite them to church, you invite them to your home. Like your one should know what your living room looks like. Your one should know what your cubicle looks like. Your one should be involved in your day-to-day life because you are moving closer to them. And they're not just some spiritual project you're trying to force a spiritual conversation with so they can cross a specific line of faith. That No, they're your person and you love them whether they accept Jesus or not. And you know what will happen when you love someone this way? Like genuinely love them then you will have an authentic relationship with them and the topic of faith will inevitably come up. And here's how I know. Because as you start moving closer to God, God becomes a big deal to you. And as you start moving closer to your one, your one becomes a big deal to you. And it's only a matter of time before the two of them collide. Like if you have them over for dinner, or if I had my one over for dinner, we'd be sitting at the table, and um, this is what we do every night. Like, whenever we eat dinner, you know, food's on the table, and then we just put out our hands like this, and we hold hands, and we pray. And um, I've got three boys, okay? So normally when we do that, it's like one of them has something sticky on their hand, and I'm like, ah, oh, so gross, you know? And then I'm like, I'm like being interrupted while I'm praying. I'm like, dear God, anchor, would you stop? Okay, God, we love you so much. Judah, stop kicking. You know, it's like that's the way the prayer goes. Okay, so what'll happen when the one comes over for dinner? The same thing we always do. Sit down at the table, do this, and go, oh, yeah, hey, real quick, we're going to hold hands and pray. By the way, you don't have to hold his hand. That's gross. It's just really, just hold my hand. It's okay. It's okay. We get it. And then you'll start to pray. Not this big, long, flowery, just a quick, like, dear God, we love you so much. Thanks for this food. Thanks for our friend who's here. In Jesus' name, amen. And then what will inevitably happen is there's going to be a moment when your one comes up to you, and maybe it's that night, or maybe it's a few weeks or months later, and he's going to go, so do you do that every night? Like, the, 
prayer thing. You actually, you guys do that. Huh. And the closer you move to your one, the more your heart will break for your one. Sorry. I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't help but think about my one. And you will, you will love your one so much and your heart's gonna break for them, which is gonna drive you to pray for your one. Because sometimes choosing your one means choosing to grieve. Because you're gonna have a one it's going to be a neighbor. It's going to be a friend. It's going to be a family member. It's going to be a co. It's going to be someone. And you're going to start moving so close to them. And you're going to want desperately for them to have like the best possible life. And you're going to, you're going to celebrate with them when they celebrate. And you're going, to, you're going to mourn with them when they mourn. And you're going to be a part of their life. And you're going to want the best for them. But they don't know Jesus. And you know the implications of that. For today and for eternity. And so you will grieve for them. And it's going to drive you to pray for them. And it's not going to drive you to do something weird and force a conversation on them, but you're going to love them so much that you will grieve for them. Just like the father did. The father in the prodigal son story chose to grieve. And the older son chose to ignore. So which one will you do? Because sometimes choosing your one means choosing to grieve. And sometimes, it's the best, choosing your one means choosing joy. <laughs> because I'm telling you, there is nothing like when your one that you've been praying for and grieving for and loving and moving closer to when they say yes to Jesus, you know what you will do? <laughs> You'll do the same thing the father did. You will run to your one. You'll get so excited for that. Jason already knows who my one is. And so I told him, listen, bro, if my one walks across this stage, like y'all got to find someone else to lead the rest of the service because I'm going to be doing laps around the building because I've been praying for him. Because I love him. Why? Because there's some spiritual project and I get some extra notch on my belt? No. Because I've been grieving for them. Grieving for them. Waiting for this moment. Sometimes we get to experience joy. So here's the question. Who's your Who's your one? And maybe some of you in this room, as we think about this question, you're not quite sure who your one is. And um, I want to invite you to do something. In just a moment, you're going to pray. And the prayer you're going to pray is really simple. It's just this, God, who is my one? You're going to ask them right now, here in this room, God, who is my one? And then would you help me move closer to them and to you? So you're going to pray, okay, God, who is my one? Who is my one? Who is my one? 
And maybe for some of you, it's gonna be later on in the week, you'll, you'll be praying and God, you're gonna in, like interact with your one and God's gonna go, it's him. That's your one. It's her. That's your one. But for some of you, and I've been praying this, some of you, God's gonna tell you who your one is right now. You're gonna pray. You're gonna go, God, who is my one? And then in the moment, God's gonna put a face or a name and you're gonna immediately know who your one is. You're going to pray, God, who is my one? Now, others of you, you already know who your one is. In fact, as I started teaching today, you immediately knew who your one uh, is. Maybe even last week, Jason was teaching and you knew who the one is. And so if that's you, I want to invite you to say their name out loud. This is really important. Say their name out loud. Because there is a, I'm telling you, there is a difference between saying, dear God, uh, I pray for my one would you help my one come to know Jesus? There's a difference in that and saying, God, I pray for Ben. I pray for Jonathan. God, I pray for Cindy. God, I pray for Sheila. Because Nick is my one. April is my one. And you just say the name out loud and you say, God, help me to move closer to Jonathan and to you. Help me to move closer to Ben and to you. And you're gonna say the name out loud. And some of you, I get it, your one might be sitting next to you. So maybe just whisper, okay? But I want you to say it out loud. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, something changes. And for some of you, you're gonna be praying that first prayer because you don't know who your one is and God's gonna give you the name immediately. And guess what? You get to move to the second prayer and you get to start saying their name out loud. God, who is my one? God, who is my one? God, who is my one? Oh, I know who my one is. Sheila. God, I pray for Sheila. Would she come to know you? So right now, I'm not gonna pray. You're gonna pray. This is your moment. Here, across the campuses, 12 Stone Home, you're gonna pray one of these two prayers for your one. And so right now, right now, just start lifting up these prayers. Right now, start lifting up those names out loud. You just begin to tell God who your one is. Begin to ask God. Just say that name out. Tell God. God, this is my one. If you don't know, just say, God, please tell me. Please show me. God, you hear these names. You just keep saying the name to God. God, you hear these names. These names are sons and daughters of yours, but not just that, they are brothers and sisters of ours. We are choosing them today. God, that's my one.
So God, please, right now, as we're, as we're claiming our one, as we're asking you for clarity on that one, we're gonna go ahead and ask, God, would you bring them to Jesus? Would they know the love of their Father in heaven who has been waiting at the edge of his seat for them? And then would you use us in whatever way you wanna use us, God? Help us move closer to our one and help us move closer to you. God, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.